If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention to the book of 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2. And today's message, which is entitled, A Good Soldier, is the second in our series of following the theme of passing the torch. And as I shared with you last Sunday, this series of messages I trust will be used and blessed by the Lord uh, to prepare our hearts for the transition that's going to be taking place uh, at the end of February as I will officially retire as your pastor. And uh, then, of course, our committee already been appointed by you to begin the search of looking for a replacement, a new pastor. And in essence, uh, like the uh, relay team of the Olympic Games, passing the torch from one person to the next, uh, we'll be passing uh, uh, the torch on to the next pastor of our church. I'm the 22nd pastor of our church, and uh, uh, the next pastor will be the 23rd. Don't know who that will be. Uh, the search will begin, and... Uh, and already has, and uh, we'll just pray that God will eventually lead them to that person that he has been preparing uh, to come and assume the responsibilities as the torch of leadership is passed on to him. And so my intent in looking at these various verses of scripture out of the second chapter of Second Timothy is to prepare our hearts and our lives and the family of our church for this transition that we firmly believe that this is what the Lord wants us to do at this time. And I appreciate your love and your support and your attitude. So pray for Linda and myself and for all of our church family as we look forward to that new pastor coming and sharing with us. And so until that time comes, I trust that I'll be able to share some thoughts with you that will encourage you and lift you up and be a positive encouragement uh, as we continue to move forward and advance the kingdom of God uh, in Nacogdoches and ultimately to the state and to the nation and finally to the entire world until the Lord Jesus Christ comes and, and establishes his kingdom upon the face of this earth. Uh, there are seven uh, figures of speech in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2 uh, that Paul uses to encourage Timothy. Timothy was to be the pastor of a church and being a young man, a pastor of a church made up of properly, certainly older people than himself, he needed encouragement and guidance and support. And so he, Paul uses these seven figures of speech, seven metaphors to help us to understand the role of a Christian and the role of the church. Last Sunday, we looked at being a faithful steward uh, and realizing that Christ uh, passed the torch of the gospel to Paul. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men of the church, and then to other people, and then down through the centuries, that torch of the gospel of Jesus Christ continues to be passed on, and uh, we are entrusted with the gospel. The Lord trusts us to be, to be faithful to the to the, uh, to, to the gospel, to be truthful in what we present about Jesus and the gospel, which is the good news of salvation that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This second metaphor or figure of speech that we're looking at today has to do with the soldier, the soldier. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. 
Uh, several years ago, when you allowed Linda and I to take a few weeks of sabbatical, uh, we went to England and uh, went on what's called a Christian heritage tour. And one of the places that we went to was Bun Hill Field, which is a giant-sized cemetery in England. I want to show you a couple of pictures from Bun Hill. We have the first one that shows the, the picture. Well, what, do you have one of the general view of, of them? You don't have that one. Okay, well, I won't show it to you. But uh, anyway, I'll come back to that one in just a moment. Bun Hill Cemetery is, is also a, a cemetery filled with what's called dissenters. People who did not like the Church of England and who broke away from the Church of England at a s tremendous price, a tremendous cost. The Church of England and the king was not very happy that these dissenters broke away from the church and formed independent congregations, many of them Baptist congregations. And uh, so this cemetery, which was begun back in the 1500s, has well over 130 or 140,000 graves in it. And there are many uh, people who are buried there who were instrumental in leading the dissension movement against the Church of England. The first picture that you saw, if we could see that again, please, I believe is Daniel Defoe. Uh, Daniel Defoe is the author of uh, a book that you are well aware of, uh, Robinson Crusoe. And this is uh, his gravestone. This is where Daniel Defoe uh, is buried. Uh, then you've heard of John Bunyan and Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, this is the, the grave of John Bunyan. And as far as I know, he's still there under all that cement. But he penned, of course, the immortal Pilgrim's Progress. Was in prison uh, because uh, he broke away from the Church of England and was preaching the gospel. They told him to shut up. They told him to not preach the gospel. He refused to listen to them. And so consequently, they threw him in prison. And he was in jail for a long, long time. But they eventually released him. And this is where he eventually passed away and, and is buried. Uh, then there are others that you have there. I believe, what's the next one? Uh, this is um, somebody's buried there. I believe it's Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts was a hymn writer and wrote many, many hymns. In fact, Isaac Watts wrote over 600 hymns, some of them in our own hymn book, such as, O God, our help in ages past, Joy to the World, Christmas song that we just sang was written by Isaac Watts. At the cross, when I survey the wondrous cross, alas, and did my Savior bleed, we're marching to Zion. Come, we that love the Lord. Are just a few of the 600 hymns that Isaac Watts wrote. Then there's the grave of John Rippon. John Rippon? Yes, this is John Rippon. John Rippon was the pastor of Carter's Lane Baptist Church in England for over 60 years and one of the leaders of the dissenters. He also wrote a companion book to Isaac Watts' hymns. And it is believed that he was very instrumental in preserving the historical value of the writings of Isaac Watts. So a very renowned John Ripton Baptist preacher uh, that served there in that church for 60 years. There are other people there. These are just a few of the grave sites of those dissenters who broke away from the English church, uh, or the Church of England, I should say. Uh, Susanna Wesley. 
the mother of John and Charles Wesley is buried there in, in that cemetery. And so there, there are many, many others. Going back to Isaac Watts for a moment, uh, Isaac Watts wrote a song entitled, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? The words are, Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy love. So Isaac Watts wrote about the church militant, being on the march for the Lord. There are some people uh, who don't like hymns that have a militant tone or verse or message to it. In fact, uh, in our day and time, there has been a movement among some denominations to remove such songs from their hymnals because they felt like that it would excite a war among the people. What about the 12 apostles? Those 12 disciples who became apostles chosen by our Lord, they paid a high price for being followers of Christ as well. Andrew is believed was crucified on an X-shaped cross. James, the brother to John, was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and finding him still alive was beat to death with clubs. Peter, Simon Peter, was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy enough to be crucified in the same way that the Lord was. And so he requested that he be turned upside down as they crucified him. Thomas was martyred by a lance being thrust through his body while he was kneeling in prayer. Uh, John survived a, a lot of the persecution that the others had to suffer, but he was exiled to the island of Patmos as a prisoner and eventually released from there. Matthew, we don't know what happened to him. There's some uh, legends, but we're not for sure how he ended his life. Bartholomew, it is, the legend has it, was flayed alive with a sharp knife. James, the son of Alphaeus, tradition says, was sawed in two with a saw. Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot, again, we don't know exactly what may have happened to them, but most of the apostles ended their lives in a form of violence, paying the ultimate price and laying down their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul, likewise, was a soldier. Uh, we know that he was eventually uh, crucified as well and, uh, and put to death because of his faith in the Lord Jesus. Remember the last word we have from him? He was in prison at Rome for what? For no other reason than preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he paid the ultimate price for it. So uh, Paul is right on when he is saying to young Timothy, Timothy, we are at war. We have a spiritual battle that is in place and you need to be prepared for it and you need to be a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word good here uh, means noble, uh, that, you that you need to be a noble soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ and that you should stand up for him in whatever the cost may be. Be, be an excellent 
Be a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I think about passing the torch on to our next pastor and our responsibility, uh, because as I've told you before, Linda and I plan to, to live here in Nacogdoches. We plan to remain members of our church, although we may be uh, doing supply preaching or whatever else the Lord may have uh, in store for us in the future. I don't know exactly what it will be. My life is in the Lord's hands and whatever it is that he wants me to do, I'm firmly convinced that I've made the right decision in, in uh, retiring, uh, but I, I'm going to be retread okay in some way or another uh, and maybe the Lord willing I can come back and and uh, and supply preach for whoever our next pastor might be and try to straighten everything out okay no, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, get away devil leave me alone here so it's it's a good time a wonderful time a positive time an uplifting and encouraging time for all of us so you've got your outline with you today. I trust that there are about seven things that I want to briefly share with you as we think about being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And the first one has to do with our enlistment, the soldier's enlistment. Notice what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. In other words, the word enlisted could also be translated drafted, drafted. Some of you have served the military, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, uh, whatever it may have been. Uh, some of you were drafted. Some of you volunteered to, to serve the Lord. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, you enlisted in the, in the military. And, and Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you need to remember that God has enlisted you. He has recruited you. He has drafted you to be a part of the spiritual army that he has uh, established. And so the word enlisted means to be persuaded to enter into uh, the battle that is at hand. And so every child of God, not just myself, not just a few people, but every Christian, you, if you are a Christian, you are a soldier in the Lord's army. Every child of God is a soldier in God's army. The first mention of the church, the first time the word church appears in the New Testament is recorded in the gospel of Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 where Jesus said that uh, he would establish his church and the gates of hell or Hades would not prevail against it. Now that is a positive offense moving forward, not just not defending, but moving forward, attacking. Our Lord was using a military term to talk about the establishment of his church, that it would be moving forward, that it would be advancing, and the gates of hell or Hades would not be able to stand up against it, that the church would overpower the very gates of hell. And so every member of the church, every Christian is uh, a, a soldier in the Lord's army. Now, uh, when the government recruits, when the government sends out those uh, uh, greeting letters and saying, you've been drafted or you're, we're touching you and listing you in the service, uh, you have to go. And, uh, you know, over in the Old Testament, there's an example of an individual who had, uh, was a leader and he had uh, people who came to him to sign up to be in his army. And his name was David. He was a shepherd boy, a young man, eventually the king of, of Israel. But I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the, keep your place here at 2 Timothy, but turn to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. The Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, chapter 22. Now, when we come to chapter 22 of 1 Samuel, David, of course, uh, 
is being considered by Saul as an enemy. And he is on the run. And uh, he has made some mistakes in, in uh, doing and, and going places he should not have gone to. But he's finally free and he's hiding out in a cave of all places. A cave. But word gets out where he is. And people start coming to him. And these people who come to him, the men who come to him, uh, will make up the army that will be serving under his leadership. Now notice the kind of people that came to David. Look at it in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all of his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. So his family gets word that he's in this cave. And so the family comes to him. But now notice verse 2. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. Now, he didn't get the elite. <laughs> he, he didn't get the trained and well-qualified. Notice the description of the people who came to him to make up his army. Verse 2 says they were in distress, that they were in debt, that they were discontented. Now, how would you like to be the captain over 400 men who had that kind of attitude and spirit? Well, well, they, were, they were losers. They were down. They were depressed. They were discouraged. They were on the dark side, you might say. Now, the word distress, uh, the, the word dead and discontented, the word discontented means bitter. I think they were, they were discontented. They were distressed over Saul's leadership. They were disappointed over the way Saul was ruling and reigning. They had a grievance against, against Saul, and, and we would classify them as losers, as downtrodden, as bitter, as disillusioned, as dissatisfied. But you know, people, that's exactly the kind of individuals that God can use. Those of us who get down, those of us who get discouraged, those who, who kind of reside on the discontented attitude. The Lord can take us and fill us full of joy and excitement and strength and use us to glorify Him. Now Paul talks about this over in the book of 1 Corinthians. Over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, There are not many who are chosen that are according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, now let me go back and underscore those words, not many. He did not say, not any. He didn't say, not any who are working according to the flesh, not any who are mighty, not any that are noble. No, no, God can take anybody who's willing to surrender to his leadership and let him be the commander of chief. And you be the soldier, the Lord's army, no matter what gifts, no matter what kind of personality you have, God can take you, change you and fill you and empower you and make a mighty army out of you. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27 that God chooses the foolish things of the world, the weak things of the world, the base things of the world, the despised things of the world, things that are not, that no man may boast in the presence of the Lord. He chooses the weak and all of these kinds of descriptions that, that make up uh, the, the army of the Lord so that you can't stand on the day of judgment in the presence of God and say, God, how lucky you were that you chose me to be a part of your army. It's not of you and of me. It is all of the Lord. 
When I read this list again in the description that Paul gave in 1 Corinthians, I thought about the MGM movie, The Dirty Dozen. You ever see the movie, The Dirty Dozen? The Dirty, uh, Dirty Dozen starring Lee Marvin. It was about an army major who was giving the assignment to take 12 men who were either sentenced to death or to life imprisonment and to train them and lead them on a raid of a German uh, outlet place uh, there and, and try to destroy all the generals and help defeat the German army. Well, it's just a movie, but again, the dirty dozen. He, he had to take the worst. Of, they were either uh, committed to capital punishment or, or life imprisonment and, and change all of them, and he did. It was a successful reign at the end of the movie. Well, this is not a movie that we're talking about. We're talking about the real thing. Well, we are in the Lord's army and the God has chosen us to be on his side. One other example, and we must move on, the book of Exodus. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Now, when you come to the 20, uh, 32nd chapter of Exodus, Moses is up in the mountain. And he's been there for 40 days and, and he's receiving uh, the Ten Commandments, among other things. I don't know all that took place during those 40 days and nights that he was up there, but he came down with the tablets in his hands. But while he was up there, Aaron, the second in command, was left in charge of the people and they misbehaved. They, uh, they insisted uh, on Aaron making a golden calf that they could worship. And uh, I just want to point some verses out to you. Look at Exodus chapter 32, uh, verse... Uh, verse 25 and 26. Verse 25, Exodus 32, 25. Now when Moses saw that the people were out of control, oh my, he just, he just goes away for a few days and what happens? They get out of control already. But why? He says in verse 25, for Aaron had let them get out of control. Well, I'm not gonna let you get out of control. <laughs> okay. I want you to remain faithful to the Lord. And uh, uh, may it not be said of me that I stood back and, and let you just go out of control uh, because uh, you don't have a, a pastor. Uh, you'll have an under shepherd. You'll have an interim pastor, I trust, that we have a committee that's looking for someone to come in and, and preach in my absence until you find a permanent pastor. Uh, but, uh, you're, you know, while the cat's away, the mice play. Oh, no. While the shepherd's away, you, you need to remain under control. But it says here that the reason why the people got out of control was because the one he had left in charge with, uh, the people, uh, allowed them to go on, out of control. Look at verse 25. When Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies, Moses stood in the gates of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And it says that all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. So in essence, Moses said to the people, take a stand. And whoever's on the Lord's side, then you, you come and stand with me. And that's what I want to say with you as well. We're all on the Lord's side. We're all in the army of God and we're to stand together and not get out of control and not stop coming and not stop giving and not stop praying simply because you don't have, quote, the pastor to lead you. Tremendous responsibility, but you're in the Lord's army now. And it is required of you always, not just because you'll be without a shepherd and a leader. Uh, that should always be the, the principle that we follow, that we're on the Lord's side and we're going to stand with the Lord. And regardless, of, if the whole world goes to hell, I'm still going to stand for the Lord. We will. So who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the king? We will. So the soldier's enlistment 
Notice, secondly, the soldier's endurance. Verse 3, Paul says to Timothy, suffer hardship with me. Suffer with me. Uh, what he's saying here is uh, be a part of my suffering. I'm suffering. And Paul is, is saying to Timothy, when you join with me, that includes your sharing suffering with me. I suffer, you will suffer. You remember, that's exactly what the Lord said to the disciples. If they hated me, they'll hate you. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If I suffer, you're going to suffer. No suffering, no crown. No cross, no crown. So we have a need to endure, suffer hardship with me. Now the word soldier that's used here in 2 Timothy 2.3 is not a reference to a soldier who is on parade, all dressed up in his nice official uniform and marching in a parade. This is not a guard. A soldier who's standing sentinel at a post somewhere. This is not a soldier who is on furlough. This is a soldier who is engaged in warfare. Notice what he says in verse 3. 2 Timothy 2, 3. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Verse 4. No soldier in what kind of service? Active service. He's not just uh, uh, at training camp or boot camp. He, he's not just uh, in, in Hawaii somewhere enjoying the scenery. Uh, he's not on a furlough. He's not in a parade. He's not just standing guard at a post. This guy is in battle. He is on the battlefield. He may be in a foxhole. There are guns, uh, shots, uh, bullets flying over his head. There are bombs bursting everywhere. He is in active service here. And you know, the Bible tells us that we have an enemy. We'll look at that in just a moment, uh, who is the devil, and he's constantly throwing fiery darts at us. And we are to join in partnership with him, with the Lord Jesus. In the King James Version, he uses the word warth. There's no soldier who warth. That is, he's in active duty. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 1, look at chapter 1 and verse 8. In chapter 1, 2 Timothy 1, verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering. But not just in suffering. Join with me in suffering for the gospel. So when you take a stand in a particular situation, uh, you take a stand for the Lord, you stand for Jesus, you stand for the gospel, you'll pay the price for it. But in doing so, you are joining up with the Apostle Paul and you are enduring. You are enduring hardship in the army of the Lord. Number three, there's the soldier's enablement. The soldier's enablement. When you find yourself in the midst of the battle, you're not alone. And the Lord will give you the strength that you need. So in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So the Lord is not going to leave you defenseless. Uh, he, he will build you up. He will strengthen you. He will make you strong, whatever the situation may be that you find yourself in. You will not be alone. He'll suffer along with you, but he'll also give you the strength that you need. Now, take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Again, a life episode out of... Out of the life of David as he confronts Goliath. And so David uh, confronts Deli uh, Goliath 
look in 1 Samuel chapter 17, look at verse 37. 1 Samuel 17, 37. David goes out to meet Goliath. Goliath taunts him, ridicules him, and uh, says, uh, I'm, I'm going to take your head and I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds. Well, listen to what David says, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 37. Then David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Then skip on down, if you would please, to verse 45. He, David stands in front of Goliath. Verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by the sword or by spear. Now notice verse 47, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. So we are at war. We have a spiritual enemy. It's not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and rulers of the world of spiritual darkness. And we are guaranteed a victory. We have the Lord on our side and he is the one who gives us the strength in any enemy that we confront. We can be victorious over it or them because of the Lord enabling us with his grace he will give us the strength that we need to endure. Notice number four, and that is the soldier's entanglement. In verse four, the first part of verse four, Paul says to Timothy, no soldier in active service, no soldier who is at war, he's in the battlefield, he may be in a foxhole or some building somewhere trying to protect himself, but advancing He's, he's battling, he's, in, he's at war, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. And, and what he's saying here is, you know, a soldier, if, if you're at war, it's not that you don't love your family. It's not that you don't want to be with your family. It's not that you're unconcerned about uh, the, the business affairs and the financial needs of your fa family back home. But when you're in a foxhole, when you're hiding behind a wall, when you're shooting and being shot at, you don't have the time to get entangled with all the business that's going on back home. You have to be focused. You have to put your eye on the Lord in spiritual battle, on the Lord and, and, and the victory that's going to be ours and not let little things distract us from the cause that God has called us to go to and be a part of. So don't entangle yourself. The word entangled here would be the same word that would use of a mother who, who braids the hair of her daughters. Just sit there and you, and you just twist it all up and, 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 and braid it. And, and so to, to, to get involved in the affairs of life, of living, to get all tangled up just like braiding your hair. You, you just cannot afford that. Now once the battle is over and things settle down, yeah, you can think about those things. But not while you're at war. You can't do that. You'll get killed if you do that. And you'll be defeated as a church if you allow the outside things of the world to become entangled with the spiritual business that is at hand. 
Lot did this. We don't have the time to look another example of this. Just write down Genesis chapter 13. Lot, Abraham's nephew. If, if, you'll, if you'll just notice the, and trace the steps that led him to become entangled with the, uh, the lifestyle of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis 13, 10, it says that, you remember Abraham and Lot, they became so prosperous that the servants began to fight among themselves. And Abraham and Lot got together and Abraham said, look, we can't continue this way. So you, you make a choice. You go one direction, I'll go the other direction. And so Abraham gave Lot the first choice. So in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 10, it says that God, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. And saw, S-A-W. Verse 12 says, Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Verse 12 also says that Lot was living in Sodom. Did you notice, did you trace the steps? Lifted up his eyes. What happened to Eve when she was tempted in the Garden of Eden? She looked at the fruit and saw that it was delicious. Saw that it was good to the taste. So she, it's sin often begins with a sight, with your eyes and with your mind. And so Saul looked, he looked towards Sodom. Next thing you know, he started moving towards Sodom. Next thing you know, he moved into Sodom. And the next thing you know is he had to move out of Sodom because the Lord sent angels and said, you got to get out of this place. We're going to destroy it. He lost all of his family except his two daughters. His wife looked back, turned into a pillar of salt. And so it, it, was, it was tragic because he chose to get entangled with that kind of lifestyle, the cities of Sodom, you know, sexual perversion and all, all the things that were involved there. I'm not saying that Lot was a part of all of that, but he lived in the midst of it. How could a man live in that kind of environment and remain loyal to the Lord? He had to be, the angels had to take him by the nip of his neck and, and drag him out. And his wife still wanted to go back and turn into a pillar of salt because of it, because she was so entangled with, with that kind of thing. And, and we cannot be entangled with the ways of the world and, and be expecting God to bless us as a church. Notice number five, and that is the soldier's enemy. And who is our enemy? Well, it's the devil. We go for this to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, where Peter says, be on the alert your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So our enemy is the devil. Now, the devil will get at us by using people. Uh, but we're not, we're not battling people. We're battling the devil because we have to deal with the people because there are those people who allow themselves to be used by the devil. And, and so, but our ultimate enemy is the devil himself, Corey Ten Boom who spent several years in a Nazi concentration camp, as you well know. Uh, she was a, out, of the, out of that concentration camp. She became a, a missionary evangelist. She made the comment one time, the first step on the way to victory is to recognize the enemy. Recognize who your enemy is. And it's the devil. Martin Luther, the great reformer, wrote a song entitled, A Mighty Fortress is Our God a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ill prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not, our, not his equal. 
The word above all earthly powers, no thanks to him, them that abides the spirit and the gifts are ours. Through him who with us sideth, let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abides still. His kingdom is forever. So there is victory guaranteed against the enemy. Number six is the soldier's equipment. And we've already looked at this from Ephesians chapter 6. Andre led us in the reading of it as the various parts of the, of the armor that's provided to us. Because no soldier is going to be sent out to battle ill-equipped. We take a person and draft him or enroll him and, and volunteers for the service, however way one goes into the service. Uh, then they're taken to the boot camp where they spent several weeks training them, disciplining them, getting them in physical shape. But then when they go out to battle, they make them fully equipped with a helmet and, and, and gear, ammunition, guns, whatever, whatever is needed to, to win the battle. Uh, they are equipped to do so. And the Lord doesn't just throw us out in the middle of the spiritual warfare that's going on, ill-equipped. And so in Ephesians 6, he talks about the, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of peace and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so we, we are equipped. The Lord adequately gives us the supplies and the equipment that we need to fight the battle. And then the seventh thing is the soldier's encouragement. The soldier's encouragement. Notice what he says in verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. And notice he says, remember Jesus, but he describes him how? As being risen from the dead. So he talks and makes reference to his death. What kind of death did he experience? The death of the cross, laid in the tomb for three days and raised from the dead, raised from the grave. And Paul is encouraging Timothy. He said, Timothy, come join me. Be a part of the battle. We're going to be well equipped. We're going to get our strength from the Lord. And we're fighting not for victory, but from victory. Remember the Lord. You know, that's the battle cry of a lot of things that we've done as Americans. During World War I, it was remember the Lusitania. Pearl Harbor on December the 7th, remember Pearl Harbor. Uh, back in the Texas Republic, and, and we, we had remember the Alamo. 9-11. May we never forget 9-11. Remember 9-11? Remember what happened on 9-11? Boy, how our churches were filled with people as they came crying out to God for help, for deliverance, for courage. Where are they now? Did you read about Elizabeth Laird just a few days ago? She died on Christmas Eve. Elizabeth Laird is known as the hug lady. Now, do you remember? Ever read about, anybody read about the hug lady? A few of you did, my goodness. Y'all in the dark. <laughs> Elizabeth Laird is known as the hug lady down at Fort Hood, Texas. She was a volunteer for the Salvation Army one day back in 2003. And she was there at Fort Hood when a soldier came up to her and hugged her. Hugged her. And she thought, my, how encouraging that was not only to her, but to the soldier to have somebody that would hug her. As she was being hugged by that soldier, she looked over his shoulder out to the, to the place where the other soldiers were, and she decided, well, if that hug was an encouragement to him, 
then perhaps a hug would be an encouragement to those other soldiers. And so she went out on the tarmac and she began hugging the soldiers. From 2003 until she died Christmas Eve 2015, she hugged over 500,000 soldiers. 500,000 soldiers that she gave a hug to. And when she was lying on her bed in the hospital in Colleen, dying of breast cancer, soldiers came to her and hugged her and told her how much it meant for them to have been hugged by her. Well, doesn't mean you're any less of a man to be hugged by somebody. How encouraging it must have been to those 500,000 plus soldiers who were hugged by the hug lady. Encouraged. And Paul is saying, you need to be encouraged by the Lord. Remember Jesus. Remember him. Elizabeth Laird said when she was hugging those soldiers, if I can bring a smile to their face, if I can lift their spirits just a bit, if I can let them know that somebody cares, it's my way of saying to them, thank you for what you've done or for what you're doing. The hug lady. And so Paul is saying, be a hug soldier. Get your hug from Jesus. Remember him. You know, the soldier's life is never easy. A soldier's life is full of battles. Soldiers face a strong enemy. Their lives are sometimes lonely. The soldier's life gets its encouragement, that is the Christian soldier does, from the Lord Jesus. We are not fighting for victory, but from victory. Listen to the words of Paul, 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. So the battle is won. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And if Christ is with us, who can be against us? You can fight with confidence when and where you are sure of victory. And with Christ and for Christ, victory is certain. Let's bow together, please. Father, uh, this is no time for us to give up and quit and surrender to the enemy who is this devil for us, the spiritual warfare that we are involved in. It's time for us to take a stand, to move forward and to advance the kingdom of God, to pray for this church and to pray for the search committee and to pray for whomever that next pastor will be, to pray that we'll be faithful to the calling that you've given to us. We have enlisted and drafted by you to serve in your army. May we not go AWOL. May we not bail out and say that, uh, well, we'll just, we'll just step back and relax a while. No, God, we must remain staunch and strong, faithful to you to receive the grace and strength that it brings to us. Father, we thank you for our church and for our fellowship and pray your blessings on us during these days. And for now, as we come to this time of invitation, that Holy Spirit, you'll speak to our hearts and lives. And should there be those here today who need to make decisions for you, give them courage and strength to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Andre's going to come and lead us as we stand to sing. If God is leading you to make a decision, please come forward. <laughs>